Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Let Me Spiral. I'm Thunmi, and this is a podcast where I talk about random things that interest me in the hope to interest you into perhaps looking into them too. Until now, we've mostly been talking about medical topics because, well, I find them very interesting. But today, we have something non-medical. Get excited, buckle up, and let me spiral about her story. Today, we are going to talk about a cause that I could go on about for ages. A cause that most of the world identifies with knowingly or unknowingly. Feminism. I know that the word is very charged and evokes a lot of emotions in people. And I also know that there's a lot of controversy associated with the concept of feminism. And that is why I want to use this platform that I've created to talk about feminism throughout the ages. I'll start off with running through the definition of feminism and the etymology of the word, followed with um, the large milestones throughout history paved by various movements throughout space and time, and finish off with talking about the current state of things and where and why each of us um, should get involved. So feminism, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, is the belief in social, economic, and political equality of the sexes. This is not the only definition, and depending on the source, you will find different definitions, some emphasizing women's rights more or less. But in the current age of thinking, not only the term, but the movement has evolved to be more holistic and address equality for all across different walks of life, factoring in especially matters of race, ethnicity, education, sexuality, gender, and more. We call this intersectional feminism, a belief that many people that I know share without knowing it. This most accurate characterization of the nature of the feminist movement was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. She was, at the time, a law student who believed it was unjust to look at gender and race as separate issues. Discrimination on any grounds is never isolated. It compounds itself, making life that much harder for people who fall victim to multiple means of discrimination. Nevertheless, feminism is a term that people find very hard to identify themselves with because of the connotations accompanying the term. Claire Goldberg Moses, a historian specializing in feminist studies, spoke on this in several instances and finally wrote her thoughts into an article um, in the Feminist Studies Journal in 2012. In this article, she explains the history of the term feminism. It is a word that stems from the French femme, meaning um, feminine or female, and the suffix ism, meaning a political ideology. The term dates back to the 1880s, but feminist movements have been taking place all over the world much longer than that. The fight for equal rights by far predates the establishment of a word to describe the cause. And even though this notion is a, noto- is a noble one, um, this was not always the reality of feminism. For a long time in the initial waves, as I will explain soon, feminism was associated with the orthodox elite white population who wanted basic rights for their women specifically. 
feminism has been seen as quite exclusionary, now taking on the meaning of being a movement run by angry women wanting to overthrow the patriarchy and instill a reversal of roles and rights, whereas that is not the principle that especially intersectional feminism runs on. So who is a feminist now? Who was the first feminist? I would still argue that feminism is a new word which we can still use to describe people who acted with those ideals prior to the formal existence of feminism. However, there are people who would argue feminists are only those who want to be associated with that word, people who claim it as a title themselves. With this self-identification, several substreams of feminism have arisen with uh, people either being externally or internally grouped into these categories based on their aims with their activism. These include radical feminists, cultural feminists, lesbian feminists, spiritual feminists, and many more, all with rather loose definitions. Um, I would also take that to be the moral of this discussion on the definition of feminism. We have no singular definition, nor do we need it. Um, the aim is merely to have people who want to fight for equal rights and opportunities for everyone whilst respecting and accommodating for their needs. Uh, this is a concept that strives to be gender, race, age, and overall just inclusive. Now, the journey to this point was not easy. Intersectional feminism didn't develop overnight, not, nor were basic human rights granted to everyone overnight. This was a journey that took many centuries and actions from people, particularly women, all over the world. Unfortunately, when it comes to chronicling the tale of women's rights, as dictionaries and history books do, they are very exclusionary of most of the world, if I'm honest. The fight for women's rights is a story told by the global West, largely only discussing their strides. It is difficult to find specific events in history prior to and during colonization where women in Asia, South America, and Africa fought for their rights when doing the research the way I do. I look for keywords in the internet, visit the websites of the organizations fighting for equality for women and girls, and looked at the information in Encyclopedia Britannica because of the convenience of finding a long and detailed timeline all on one page. This means that I don't stumble across individual instances of feminist actions in history, which I can freely interpret as such and tell you about. So if you're listening and care to educate me about some of your favorite women in history, hopefully before the 1900s, who did really cool things in this field, especially if they are women of color, please do share. I'd love to do an episode on global movements, just sharing these cool stories. But that being said, I am now going to give you a historical rundown of the four waves of feminism that the world has experienced thus far. So leading up to the first wave of feminism, which was pioneered by suffrage in the UK and US, there were several instances in Europe primarily, which, def which definitely influenced um, the later defined waves. Women had always been stuck in domestic work, unable to get an education or work, and they had no vote and even limited say about their person even being traded as property for men, um, whilst they weren't allowed to own any property themselves. The earliest account I found in my research was a 14th uh, or 15th century philosopher, Christine de Pizan in France, who 
advocated for women's education. In the 15th century, Laura Sereta in Venice published a collection of letters with women's complaints about education, marital oppression, and their attire. More and more literature was being published, but opposers to this movement saw women as superficial and immoral for voicing their opinions this way. Feminists argued that given education, women would be intellectual equals because there was evidence in history prior to them even. England joined the cause in the 16th century, and um, all things said and done, the Renaissance never really reached a definitive feminist movement. The Age of Enlightenment uh, was started, kind of started the movement of feminism by reformist women. They demanded liberty, equality, and natural rights for both sexes. Philosophers at the time um, tried to argue that class and social differences were the ones that people should focus on, and they continued to want oppression of women. But women stepped up in this space and argued that this lower perception of women is due to the societal ideals imposed on women, and given the same chances, there would be no differences between men and women. While this was kind of slowly coming up in uh, France, Germany, and Italy. At the same time, abolitionism was happening in the U.S., which added another group of women to the cause. So with the end of slavery, women also started gaining rights, and this is what is defined as the first wave of feminism. The first wave was led entirely by women's suffrage, meaning that women's right to vote. The wave was pioneered by American women in combination with the abolitionist movement in 1848 with a women's rights convention in Seneca Falls, New York. Conventions and discussions continued for 70 years with women fighting for their vote. There were two streams of thought during this, one from the elitist white population who was fighting for education and the vote, whereas black women were fighting for the mere comfort that white women were expected to enjoy in society. Sojourner Truth was a former slave who held a speech entitled Ain't I a Woman in 1851, describing the very discrepancies between the races. So migration happened and this very racism became grounds for arguing, with some groups demanding the vote for white women to counteract the voices of immigrants from East Europe. The movement changed from peaceful discussions to rioting, inspired by the likes of such in Britain. And by 1920, both England and the U.S. had granted women the right to vote. In the post-suffrage era, there was a reform of labor laws and discussions about the specific needs of the feminist movement. The questions arising were whether this was just a fight for equality or responding to the needs of women, equity. At the time, equality was all that was granted with protective legislator for women who were working being denied. A few notable events towards the end of this first wave were in 1911, International Women's Day being celebrated in Austria, Denmark, and Switzerland and Germany on March 8th. And in Russia, women-led protests um, are thought to be the ones leading to the abolition of the Tsars caused by the Russian Revolution on this very day. And in the 1920s, Doctors stood up in Egypt against female genital mutilation, um, citing negative health benefits, and they 
went against tradition. In 1929, ABBA women's, uh, the ABBA women's riots took place where women came together to protest the undemocratically appointed chiefs in their area, and this even resulted in the resignation of these um, chiefs in Nigeria. Finally, the transition to the second wave was marked by World War I and World War II, during which women took on traditionally men's jobs as men were forced to go to war. Rosie the Riveter was a key figure characterizing this time in history. The second wave began post-World War II in the 60s and 70s. One aim was to achieve equality in power or hierarchical structures and to have women with 50% of the power available and with equal pay. Another movement during this time began to dismantle the patriarchy and confines around being a woman and began pushing women into the same role as a man. The third movement was to have cultural norms broken down and highlight the similarities between men and women so as to show equality. The changes were led by educated middle-class white women. And this left black feminists to dismantle racial and gender problems at the same time. Then globalization begins at the end of the 20th century. Asia, Africa, and Latin America are being woven into the narrative. Forced marriage, female infanticide, widow burning, and female genital mutilation were all practices countered by Western, Western feminists with a hero complex of sorts. There was work being done in the third world countries to improve the status of women. But the big question here is whether the status of these women was inherently bad or only reduced because of Western colonizers. Just as another example to show how interwoven race and gender problems really are. Throughout the second wave and leading up to it, there are a few very cool moments that I'd like to mention. In 1945, 1,500 unionized laundresses went to strike or went on strike. Um, this made the laundry business suffer three months of strikes in Ireland, but eventually led to Irish workers getting a second week of annual holiday. Also in 1945, the United Nations was founded with the sentiment that we the people, this is a quote, we the people reaffirm faith in the equal rights of men and women. This inclusion was inherent to the change and a major step because it affirmed the goal to serve all of humanity. In 1946, the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women was founded as the first government body, actually a global collaboration, dedicated to gender equality specifically. In 1948, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights was signed, which states fundamental freedoms that all humans should have. This was another momentous document which legally binds states to recognize that, when, that men and women have the same basic rights. In 1975, Reykjavik um, had, a woman, had a women's day off, which was actually a protest where 25,000 women protested, uh, which put the city's services, schools, and businesses at a complete standstill. In 1979, the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women came to fruition, and this is the second most ratified UN treaty after the Convention on the Rights of the Child. 
This treaty legally binds countries to end discrimination against women in all aspects, not only in law, but in practice. Another major step um, in holding people accountable for their actions. Following this, we have the third wave, which started as of the mid-1990s. The aim was to rebuild the system rather than just influencing it. This, the means to this was by becoming a part of the system. Feminists were questioning the entire structure of systems, relying on the principles of democracy to make change happen. New and inclusive concepts started to gain momentum, like the gender continuum and race now playing a bigger role. They focused on gender identity and sexual liberation and what it means to be a woman. Feminists were redefining girls as assertive, dominant, powerful, and in control, and effectively emasculating society. Media played a huge role in making all of this happen, with the portrayed women being positive role models for girls, breaking the orthodox expectations. Just think of Mulan or other New Age Disney princesses. There was fair critique, however, regarding sexualization, with the opposition arguing sex, sexual liberation is counterproductive because it supports the traditional views of women. During this time, in 2003, in Liberia, led by Lema Gboui, uh, women formed a sex strike and sat in on the meeting threatening to um, undress unless male delegates reached a resolution to end the 14-year civil war. This led to Ellen Johnson Sirleaf as the first woman um, being head of state in the entire continent of Africa. 2006, in Uttar Pradesh, India, the Gulabi Gang took shape. Women dressed in pink were getting justice for other women suffering domestic abuse. Now, this Gulabi Gang has spread all across India um, and fights against social injustices against women. In 2013, so quite at the end of the third wave, Malala Yousafzai publicly addressed the United Nations for uh, education for everyone after suffering a gunshot wound to her head on her way to school. All that being said, we now reach the fourth wave. That is now. We are presently in the middle of the fourth wave. This began around 2012. Um, Feminists are addressing sexual harassment, body shaming, rape culture. Social media is the powerhouse able to facilitate this mass activism. If you just take a peek at the impactful hashtags of the past years, you'll think back to hashtag times up, hashtag bring back our girls in response to the kidnapping of 280 schoolgirls in Nigeria, and hashtag me too, which condemns sexually inappropriate behavior of men all across industries and everyday life, allowing women to take back the power of their own stories. Perhaps one of the largest protests of the past years was the Women's March on 21st January in 2017, the day after Trump's inauguration, wherein millions of women all over the world started calling for massive social change and gender equality once more. And the battle isn't won. It's not over. This is just what the books consider to be the history of feminism. So I encourage you to look at the instances where you were directly confronted with sexist behavior, whether or not it was directed at you and Ask yourself, what did you do in that instance? Did you inadvertently 
help propagate the inequality. I have had many a conversation with my friends about respecting and actively changing misogynistic thought patterns, no matter how minor they may be, because in the masses, they make a difference. Moreover, I have had a hard conversation with myself and realized that a lot of the time, the default person in my head is a white male, which makes me inclined to default to the pronoun he when generalizing a situation or referring to an unnamed person. This is harmful because it evades essential representation that young people subconsciously do pick up on. This subconscious messaging is definitely what has impacted my language and my inner eye, so to speak. I would look forward to changing that, even if it's as small as using she more often when making sentences. I do think we need to cement the equality into our mindsets so that it will manifest itself into the society that we are trying to build. That being said, this is a massive discussion that I could hold for hours on end, and I have, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Taking it back to the beginning of the episode, I want to put it out there that I do identify myself as a feminist because I believe in the cause of equality for everyone, irrespective of gender, sexuality, race, what have you. I know that I omitted a large part of the discussion of feminism, which is that of the diverse genders and sexual orientations, but this episode is long enough and I would not be able to do the matter any justice. So maybe in the future, I will talk about that cause dedicatedly when I feel as though I have enough education on the topic. So just a question for you. Do you think you're a feminist? Why or why not? What does the word mean to you or what is your relationship with the movement? I've spoken a lot now. I am done spiraling. And thank you so much for listening. Please do share this with your friends and family, especially as this was my first non-medical themed episode. And let me know what else you would like me to dive into. Um, I would still appreciate any ounce of feedback that you have for me. And per usual, my sources are linked in the description and you can reach me at Let Me Spiral on Instagram or Twitter or any other way you want to get a hold of me really. Thanks again and bye.